Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. It is the 200th episode of the podcast. I can't believe it, but there we go. It's been actually five years this week since I started at Canonical 2. And yeah, I guess the podcast has been going for just a little bit less than that. Uh, So it's been really interesting to see all the changes that have happened there through the security team as we've grown and whatnot. But actually, I won't be going into all that this week. I thought actually the recent news around uh, changes with uh, RHEL would be interesting to look at that as how they are now not publicly releasing uh, the source code anymore. We will go into that, but uh, first let's look at the usual uh, updates that have gone into Ubuntu in the past week. So there were 73 unique CVEs addressed by the team and uh, we had updates for a huge number of packages. So thanks as always to everyone on the Ubuntu security team that's done uh, security updates in the past week. Uh, we had an update for Pano 13. This is a library used uh, for handling of panoramic images. Uh, it's actually used by uh, things like Hogan Tools and others for stitching together photos into a panorama. Uh, a couple of different CVEs here fixed all the way back to our 1404 uh, ESM release. Uh, one of them, uh, one of these vulnerabilities was a format string vulnerability in uh, the PT crop utility that could then be abused to execute arbitrary code and the like. There was also an out-of-bounds read. Uh, it looked a bit more like a null pointer reference when I went and looked at the upstream patch, but certainly was des- uh, described as an out-of-bounds read in the CVE by MITRE. But anyway, when parsing of TIFF images, both of those have been fixed and both of those leading to obviously code execution in the first case or potentially a denial of service in the second. After that was an update for libx11. And again, this goes all the way back to 14.04 ESM and pretty much everything in between. Uh, Single CVE here. In this case, uh, libx11 is one of the underlying libraries used uh, by X clients when talking to an X server. Uh, In this case, they had various different uh, request and event IDs that it would use as parameters that would index then into various arrays. Uh, the X server could specify values that were outside of the bounds of those arrays and therefore you could get an out-of-bounds write or an out-of-bounds read as a result in your clients. Now, all of the uh, standard upstream X servers you know, do not have this uh, malicious behavior. You really need a malicious X server that you'd be connecting to. And uh, that would be odd in most cases because usually the X server is the thing that's running on your local machine. It's uh, you know, unlike the normal sort of client server architecture where you're, uh, you know, as a standard user, you are a client connecting to some server somewhere away. In the X case, the X server runs on your machine and all the applications that then run uh, are the clients that talk to it. And so in most cases, you're running both the server and the client, you know, you're fine. Uh, but you can imagine a case where maybe you're uh, running uh, commands on some remote uh, instance over SSH. You can do X forwarding to that. Well, again, you're still running the X server on your machine and the clients, the applications on those remote machines talking back to your local X server. So in general, most people aren't connecting to remote X servers and therefore um, having this kind of, uh, you know, a threat model. But uh, yeah, that's been fixed for LibX11. After that was an update for GNU Sazzle. Uh, this is a library and command line application for the simple authentication security layer and Sazzle framework. And it's used by various network servers like IMAP, XMPP and others uh, to authenticate clients and the like. It looks like both MUT and NeoMUT use this uh, library from what I could see. If anyone using those as your you know, um, terminal based mail readers. 
in this case, it was a possible out-of-bounds read uh, on the server side if a client could provide crafted authentication data, in that case leading to a denial of service or information leak against the server. So actually both those probably wouldn't affect MUT or NeoMUT, use of my examples, but huh, there you go. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we had an update as well uh, for requests, uh, the Python library. Uh, I talked about this one back in episode 199 last week, and we've now got the same update released for our two uh, older releases that are now uh, part of Ubuntu Pro, so 1604 and 1804 uh, that are now in there I guess uh, extended security maintenance period uh, similarly we had an update for libcap2 that I talked about last week and again that's for the uh, three releases that are in ESM so uh, 1404 1604 and 1804 and uh, as well cups filters was updated for a 1604 release again I talked about that one actually back in episode 196 so uh, three or four weeks ago now an update for SSSD was done too. I talked about this update last week. Uh, in this case, unfortunately, it introduced a small regression where if users were just using apt install to install the new SSSD binary package, uh, that would then conflict with one of uh, the other dependent binary packages, uh, libraries that are used by it, that are produced by the same uh, sort of source package. And so if you were running say apt upgrade or unattended upgrades it would upgrade all the associated packages together you wouldn't have been hit by this you would have had to just manually install or upgrade that one single package uh, but yeah this was updated to make sure that i guess the dependencies were specified in a tighter way to make sure that that couldn't happen but yeah in general i recommend you do run unattended upgrades so you get your security updates installed automatically or at least run apt upgrade so it will handle all of the different dependencies for you Moving on though, we had an update for QMU, four different CVEs, again going all the way back to 14.04 ESM. All of these were various memory management issues in different guest drivers, which could then allow a malicious guest to cause the QMU uh, process on the host to crash. Uh, I guess it's not really surprising uh, as the boundary between unprivileged and privileged components is the literal attack surface in this case, and so that's where we're going to see these sorts of security issues. What else? I had an update for PyPDF2. Uh, this is a library for handling PDF files uh, in Python. Uh, you know, it's a pure Python library. Uh, again, going all the way back to 16.04 ESM. In this case, it was a possible infinite loop if the input PDF was malformed and you know, I guess the file finished without uh, containing one of the expected terminating elements. Uh, the PyPDF would just keep trying to read and read and read and get nothing back and so end up in this infinite loop spinning on you know, no input data. Podman was updated for our 2204 LTS release. Uh, this was, I guess, a sort of minor vulnerability, but when uh, using Podman Play Cube to create containers or pods and volumes based on uh, Kate's or Kubernetes YAML file, it would always pull the kate.gcr.io pause image. Uh, and this is not actually necessary anymore. It's been quite a while since that's been needed in Podman. Uh, and it's not necessarily maintained. And I guess by just installing something that you know isn't needed anymore, it does add an additional attack, attack surface there. So that was updated uh, to not bring that in as well. Uh, Jettison was updated. Uh, this is a Java library for converting between XML and JSON. And this goes all the way back to 16.04 ESM as well. Uh, had three different stack overflows due to uh, different recursive parsing implementations for JSON. So essentially you could uh, supply a JSON uh, input that was just a very deeply nested uh, JSON object and it would eventually you know, run out of stack memory and uh, therefore crash. Similarly, there was actually a memory leak along the way to there. So you could potentially also get it to crash by just using too much memory as well, but they've all been fixed as uh, for JSON. 
SVG++ was updated, or SVGPP, uh, also known. Uh, a bunch of different possible out-of-bounds reads. Uh, one of these was in just demo code. And so in both of these, I guess we assigned a negligible uh, priority rating to because yeah, they're not really able to be reached. Or yes, in the case of demo code, it's not really a real vulnerability. It was interesting to see that uh, NVD assigned a CVSS score of 6.5 for that null point of references in demo code. I guess it shows to me the limits of CVSS as a metric and I've talked about this before. I even wrote a blog post about it a few years ago. I've got a link to that in the show notes if you want to go reading. But uh, for I guess some more recent commentary on uh, CVSS scoring as I guess not necessarily the most useful metric for CVEs, uh, Daniel Stenberg, the upstream maintainer of Curl, has a bunch of good blog posts on that that I've also got linked in the show notes. Uh, he has certainly a bit more of a bone to pick with NVD and I guess a bit unhappy with some of the CVSS scores that he is assigning for various vulnerabilities in curl and saying essentially that they make up these numbers. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, but I do think that CVSS is a reasonably complicated metric. It's trying to derive just a single number that takes into account a bunch of different impacts. And you've got people that are assigning these scores that aren't necessarily experts in the code bases or the vulnerabilities that they're looking at. And so it can be quite easy to get that wrong. Now, uh, there is a new upcoming CVSS 4 standard that yeah, adds in a bunch of different new kind of, I guess, metric elements that can go into that, a bunch of different ways that, uh, a number of different inputs that can go into calculating that score. That may help a bit. It certainly gives more context to a CVSS score, um, but I think it actually may make the overall problem of, like, a scores being incorrect worse because if you've now got more things that you need to uh, think about and try to calculate in this part of this metric, you've got now got more things that could just go wrong Wrong, particularly when if someone is not that familiar with the project or the vulnerability or how that might be exposed or what the standard configurations are or all the other things that really go into trying to calculate uh, what would be a real risk score for a vulnerability. So yeah, it does mean that um, CVSS is a bit limited in terms of trying to analyze the risk for a vulnerability uh, or maybe the severity, but you know that's what we have and that's certainly what the industry uses. So that's where we are. Uh, but I digress. Moving on, uh, we had an update for VLC, seven different CVEs here, and this goes all the way back to 16.04 ESM again, uh, plus the releases since. All of these were different out-of-bounds reads or writes when handling various images or video files, uh, leading to therefore denial of service or possible code execution. Workzug. I think that's how you pronounce that, uh, which is various utilities for uh, Whiskey applications, WSGI applications in Python. Uh, a couple of different CVEs here for uh, the 2304 release were fixed. One of these is in um, parsing of cookies, which could allow a remote attacker to shadow other cookies, uh, which was an interesting one, plus uh, CPU-based denial of service that could be triggered through uh, essentially parsing of an unlimited number of multi-part form data parts. Uh, since each part of that form data part consumes only a small amount of memory, as an attacker, it's not hard to send like a really big request that contains all of that, but then uh, the receiver will spend a reasonably large amount of CPU time trying to parse each of those, plus spend a bunch of memory itself trying to handle those as well so you can kind of get an outsized impact on uh, the server for your you know, I guess small attack as a client so they've been fixed. Firefox was updated to the latest upstream uh, point release 114.0.2 for our 2004 LTS release. Uh, upstream had a bunch of regressions there in their native message handling uh, plus a bunch of crashes that were also fixed too. 
Ruby was updated for uh, 2210 and 2304 for three different CVEs. I think I've talked about these in some previous episodes, but a couple of these were regular expression denial of service vulnerabilities. Uh, Another one was in uh, handling of responses in the CGI gem that could allow an attacker to modify the response that would then be sent back to the user. uh, And that was through a HTTP response splitting attack. I think they were also able to potentially modify cookies in that as well. PNG check was updated and I found this one a bit ironic because PNG check is used to verify integrity of PNG and associated files and it's often used as part of uh, like different forensics toolkits. Uh, The forensic extra package depends on this and we'll pull that in. So, you know, if you are, I guess, probably using something like Kali Linux, you are probably using things like PNG check uh, along the way. And yeah, I found it ironic that it contained a bunch of different vulnerabilities here. One of them being a buffer overflow that could be triggered on a crafted file. So as an attacker, you just uh, provide a malicious image, or a forensic examiner or whoever is doing reverse engineering on that goes and runs PNG check on it and you can get code execution as them. So that's kind of funny. Uh, and then we had a bunch of updates for uh, our kernel packages. So uh, most of these, I've talked about these vulnerabilities in the past, but we had an update for our 5.19 kernel used in uh, Ubuntu 22.10 and that's the hardware enablement kernel now for 22.04 LTS. It has various issues that will allow a local user to trigger a potential deadlock in the kernel or an oops, and that's a crash, uh, or read various bits of kernel memory and that kind of thing. Uh, so impact there ranging from denial of service through to information leak, but none of those appear to be remotely exploitable, which is good. We also had eight different CVEs that went into our 5.15 kernel that's used as the standard kernel for our 2204 LTS, plus the same set of vulnerabilities were fixed in the 5.4 kernel that's used in our 2004 LTS release. And that's sort of all the standard kernels there. So uh, the generic kernel, GCP, GKE, AWS, Oracle, Azure, all the different clouds basically, uh, Raspberry Pi uh, if you're using under KVM and even the low latency kernel flavor as well. Uh, and that was a similar set of issues to those above. We then also had a couple updates for our OEM kernels. So if you are running Ubuntu on a pre-installed machine, uh, you probably would have got these kernel updates. So the 6.1 based OEM kernel for Ubuntu 2204 LTS plus the uh, 5.17 based OEM kernel on uh, 2204 as well. I've talked about all of these vulnerabilities previously, so go check out episode 198 for that. But yeah, one of them was in uh, an out-of-bounds read in the USB handling code for the Broadcom FullMac USB Wi-Fi driver would require an attacker to create a malicious USB device, um, as I mentioned back in episode 198. So, you know, if you are running something like USB guard, you're probably a bit safer there. And uh, what else? We had an update for the kernel in uh, 2304. And that's again, all the sort of kernel flavors there that are shipped there. And that's based on uh, the upstream 6.2 kernel. And again, I've talked about all of these uh, back in uh, episode 198 as well. And finally, uh, the live patch team within the kernel team has been busy. They've released a bunch of live patches for uh, a huge different number of kernel types and flavors across uh, the 2204, 2004, and 1804 releases, fixing six different CVEs. Again, I've talked about all those vulnerabilities previously, um, but if you want to know more details, check out the show notes because I've got a table there that lists all the different live patch versions that you can check. So if you just run canonical live patch status, uh, you'll be able to check whether you're up to date or not with that table. And that is it for the week in security updates. So the other thing I wanted to talk about this week was uh, the announcement from Red Hat that they're going to stop publicly releasing the source code for RHEL. Now, um, I guess Red Hat has been making different changes since they were acquired by IBM a while back. And I guess this is one more change. 
Previously, um, they would release the sources for RHEL to uh, the git.centos.org repo. And so anyone could go and inspect those and see what all the different patches were that had gone into the latest RHEL security updates or others. Um, this git.centos.org was used as the repo for the previous CentOS Linux. Uh, that was uh, kind of a freely available repackaging of RHEL. Uh, and it was kind of like a downstream of RHEL aiming to be, you know, kind of bug for bug compatible of RHEL, but freely available. That was discontinued though at the end of 2021 in favor of the new CentOS stream project run by RHEL and that's positioned more as an upstream of RHEL. And so they are still gonna be releasing the source code into CentOS stream, but it's not necessarily exactly what ends up in RHEL directly. Um, but by pushing those sources public, you know, it allowed everyone to I guess, inspect them and see what changes had been made, but it also allowed different competitor products to be based off that, hence the old uh, CentOS Linux. Uh, the then, I guess when CentOS Linux was discontinued and CentOS Stream started up, a couple other projects sort of started up in its wake, which was Alma Linux and Rocky Linux. Both of those aim to be kind of community versions of RHEL, again, bug for bug compatible. And so this change really does impact uh, both of those projects and they've both released uh, statements around it. Uh, it seems actually this change was first noticed uh, a week ago or so by the Alma Linux developers when they noticed that you know the latest updates hadn't appeared in that repo. They contacted RHEL, filed a bug report, and then RHEL went on and released this public statement saying, yes, this is a, you know, a purposeful change. Uh, as I said, RHEL's, uh, Red Hat say that CentOS Stream will now be the only public repo for RHEL-related source code. But as uh, the Alma Linux developers point out, this does not necessarily contain all the different patches and updates that actually end up in the various RHEL packages. So you can't necessarily just take CentOS Stream and get RHEL out of it. Um, it as I say, this really does impact those two projects, Alma Linux and Rocky, uh, because they were using the old uh, gitcentos.org to base all of their updates on. Uh, Alma Linux now say they plan to use CentOS Stream to base their updates from and their government's going to have to do some more work on that because it's not necessarily everything that actually ends up in RHEL. Rocky have said uh, kind of something similar. They just say, oh, we just have to change where we point our CI at. But given that this isn't exactly the same thing that git.centos.org was, uh, I think they're actually going to have to do a bunch more work in between. So it's really going to be interesting to see how that pl uh, plays out for those projects. Um, Red Hat do say though that their sources will still be available to their customers and partners uh, through the usual customer uh, portal, which is good obviously. They need to make sure that they're uh, abiding by uh, the license terms of the GPL and other licenses to make sure that whoever they're distributing RHEL to can also then go and get the source code. Um, you know, The GPL doesn't mean that just because you uh, release something you have to give the source code available to everyone. You only have to give it to those that you actually release your, your product to, which is what they're doing. However, you know, like in, in that case, it's not like just say Rocky or Alma could just register as Red Hat customers and take those sources and use them because the standard RHEL license agreement prohibits them um, from redistributing those or, or being used to develop competitor products and the like. Now, looking at Ubuntu, it doesn't have a huge impact on us. Obviously, we're a downstream of Debian, not a downstream of RHEL. Uh, we're not using um, RHEL patches in general or looking at their source code. That doesn't mean we haven't in the past. And certainly, uh, there are cases where perhaps RHEL does a really complicated backport of a patch to an old version. We may have a very similar version of that in Ubuntu. And so we will sometimes in the past have used their patches or certainly the backporting work that we do would have been informed by those patches. So it has been handy, but it certainly won't have a direct impact on us in that way but as i say it will be interesting to see what happens to these i guess community distributions of rel alma and rocky uh, i wonder it does seem like the writing is on the wall for them a bit but yeah, maybe they can adapt their processes to use uh, the code from centos stream but i guess we will just have to wait and see 
All right, so that does take us to the end of this week's episode. If you've got thoughts on anything you've heard, um, give us an email, security.com, or come and chat to us in uh, the Ubuntu Security channel on libero.chat. Or you can also find us on Mastodon. We are at Ubuntu Security at fosterdon.org over there. Uh, come and hit us up there as well. Thanks again, for everyone, for listening for another week. I'll be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.